All right, let's get into Revelation 17. Let's pray first. 17, yep, thank you, Father. Um, I pray that um, you'd help us think about heavenly things this week. It's so easy to think about what's negative and to bicker and complain and grumble and everything else. I pray that you would help us think about all the positive things in life and that you're doing. I ask that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Give us revelation of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 17. And um, next week or the week after, we will be in 18 as well. As... Um, as we discuss these next two chapters, we're going to be discussing Babylon. Now, Babylon is interesting because some of, us, some of us in here understand what Babylon represents. Others of us understand that Babylon represents something that's not godly, but we're not sure exactly why. So one of the biggest questions that people have about Babylon before we get into 17 is, is Babylon a literal, is it literal in terms of Babylon is an actual city or is it figurative in it paints a picture of um, spirituality? And I would say it's both. I believe that when we reference Babylon, it's referring to a literal ancient city of Babylon, of Babel. I believe it's also referring to a um, state, a figurative state of spirituality. So I think it's important before we get into understanding what's going on here in Revelation chapter 17 that we learn a little bit more about Babylon. So other than Jerusalem in the Bible, Babylon is the most mentioned city. It's referred to over 300 or around 300 times in the Bible, 200 and I think 60 some. So almost 300 times in the Bible, Babylon is mentioned. 42 out of the 404-ish verses in the book of Revelation, Babylon is mentioned. So simple math, quick math, a little bit over 10% of all of Revelation Babylon is referred to. We see a uh, theme that is taking place within the Bible. There's heaven and there's hell, right? So there's two ways. There's God and there's the devil. There's the easy road and the narrow path and there's the wide road, right? And then there's Jerusalem and there's Babylon. There's two. There's one of two ways. There's those who are marked by God, and then there's those who are marked by Satan. There's two ways. So I, I think when we look at the theme of the Bible, for people who think that there's multiple, multiple ways, there's just not. The Bible, there's a theme of two. So we see the theme being continued with Jerusalem and Babylon. 
Babylon is along the Euphrates River, and it would have been 55 miles south of Baghdad. So under King Nebuchadnezzar, it was considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was known for its hanging gardens. It was a beautiful city, and this city had great power. Now, what was interesting is um, many, many people, many leaders who have overseen Baghdad, what they wanted to do is they wanted to reconstruct the um, new Babylon, and many of their attempts have failed. Nevertheless, Babylon was founded by Nimrod, and Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah. So Genesis 10, 8 through 12. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and um, Kana and Shinar. From the land he was sent to Assyria, where he built uh, Nineveh, Rohoboth, Ur, Kalah, and Rasin, which is uh, between Nineveh and Kalah, which is the great city. Yesterday, some of us celebrated uh, my birthday. My birthday was Friday, I believe. Yesterday we celebrated. And what people said was this, is if you just say it with confidence, no one else is going to know. So as I read those, you're like, I don't know. He said it with confidence, sure. So that's what I did. Thank you. So like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So when you first read this, your understanding might be that this was someone that God was blessing. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Well, the fact of the matter is this was not a good thing. Nimrod, the name means rebellion. Any of you guys ever been called a Nimrod growing up? So the rebellious one. People who called you that probably weren't using it in the appropriate form anyways. But rebellious. Nimrod was out against God. So due to his rebellion, as he founded Babylon, what ends up happening is the tone that was set within Babel was to rebel against God. To become independent of God. So what they decided to do was do what? Build a tower. In their, in their rebellion, what they wanted to do was create a space that would help them be independent of him. What Babel desired to do was to create a space that was God-proofed. How many of us are trying to live God-proofed in our life? Our 401ks, our insurances, um, how else do we God-proof our life? The way we communicate with people, the way we become unconcerned. We don't, we don't serve as much as we should. We don't listen to as many people's stories because the less we know, the better. Come on, somebody. 
We God-proof ourselves. So what was happening here in Babel was they desired to be independent of God. So what they did is they, they built the tower. Now, um, they built this tower, and when they built this tower, it was, legend has it, that it wasn't just a tower the way that we see it today um, in the sense of just straight up. It was kind of as if it was almost a pyramid, and then you would have a spiraling staircase around um, the whole thing that you can walk up. Now, some have said it was as tall as, I forget the first word, but the Khalifa building. Um, the tallest building in the world. Does anyone know what the first wor word of the Khalifa building was? Is? Huh? Bur Burj Khalifa, right? Or Khalif. Essentially, it's like a mile high. Now, legend has it, when you look at some theologians and some historians, they would say that this tower was actually taller than that. I'm not preaching that. I'm not saying that it's true. That would be quite crazy back in the day to have had that. But who knows? But essentially what they were trying to do is, number one, they wanted to remain there. They wanted to get up to the sky and honor, honor some things that I'll mention here in a minute. But they wanted to be God-proofed. So what they said is, if God floods the earth again, we want to make sure that we have a tower high enough to be able to withstand what God is going to send. They thought that if they built a tower high enough, that their tower would withstand the flood. That's crazy, isn't it? Rhetorically, rhetorically thinking, what things in my life, what things in your life do you think that you have protected God from, or you think that you can keep God out of that area? What area have you tried to God-proof? God, I'll go to church, I'll go to small group, I'll serve, but you can't have my money. Because my money is what's going to keep me safe. We have to be careful that we don't God-proof our lives. Amen? We give God everything and we trust him with everything. Nevertheless, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to withstand potentially another flood. So um, not only did they try to withstand the flood, they also tried to build the tower that would make it to the heavens. Now, the heavens that they're talking about wasn't the heaven that God is in now. Essentially, there's three heavens, but it's more... Two of the heavens are a, um, just a uh, speech, right? Just um, figurative speech. So it's like, well, the first heaven would be like the stars in the sky, the sun. And that's where they were trying to reach. They were trying to reach the heavens because they wanted to be close to the sun and they wanted to be close to the moon and they wanted to be close to the stars because they in Babel would worship the sky. They loved the sky. They saw the sky as one of their gods. So they desired to be there. So that's why they wanted to build this tower so tall. They were obsessed with stars and astrology. One theologian suggested that all occult practices that uses astrology originated 
in Babylon. So just as a, what should be clear, astrology and angel numbers and um, Ouija boards and tarot cards and horoscopes and all these things come from the devil to make it clear to you guys. They're not of God. The algorithms and the science and the spirits, hand readings, palm readings, all of those things are of the devil. And it's said that astrology started here. So they were obsessed with the heavens. They wanted to make it there. And they wanted to be in the air. There was something about worshiping what was in the air that they desired. So they built the tower. Now, you guys remember um, a couple weeks ago when we brought up Scripture in Genesis that God told you and I to be fruitful, to reproduce, and to subdue the earth. What God wanted you and I to do is to get married, have babies, and to explore the earth. Right? That's what he desired of us. So what did they do? They wanted to protect themselves from what God wanted for them. So they rebelled. They said, we're good enough. We don't want to worship you, God. We want to worship our own image of a God. So we're just going to plant ourselves right here. We want to do our own thing. We want to be in the air because we want to worship the prince of the air. Now, how many of you guys know who the prince of the air is? Well, if you do not, we're going to read it in Ephesians 2. Here we go, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your tra uh, transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The kingdom of the air. Though... The, the leader, the kingdom of the air is the devil. And that's why some people say, you know, like, uh, why internet? I mean, this is like all postulation at this point, right? People are like the internet, the internet, the TV, the um, radio, movies that are all coming through air, right, is all from the devil. And you say, like, you can at least see where the devil is using it, right? Internet has been a good thing. It's helped things. But they're saying it's coming through the air, so that's where people have postulated that Satan is using that. Nevertheless, here's what we know, is those who were in Babel, they wanted to be in the air. They wanted to worship the prince of the air. They loved the stars and astrology, and they wanted to self-proof themselves from God. I wonder... How many of those things are we participating in unintentionally? See, the, the sin of Babel wasn't that they had architecture and they built a um, tower. The tower within itself was not the sin. What the sin was was the heart behind the tower. They were intentionally rebellious. They tried to God-proof their life so they didn't need him. They committed idolatry as they wanted to worship the prince of the air and the stars. They wanted their way above God's way. 
So when you think about Babylon that way, we are not much different from it. We are intentionally rebellious. We try to proof our lives so that God can't get into certain areas. We worship certain things. And you're like, well, I don't worship the stars. Well, you might worship Ohio State football. Well, I don't worship Ohio State football. You might worship your kids. Well, you might not worship your kids, but you might worship some other sport. You might not worship sports, but you might worship food. You might not worship food, but there's areas in our lives that we have to reflect on and say, I do worship. There is idolatry in my life. And we say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my idolatry. Um, help lead me to repentance and let me get rid of it. But there's areas in our lives where all of us have this spirit of Babylon within us. See, but not only was Babylon someone who tried to protect themselves from God, there was pride in their lives that thought that they were impenetrable. They felt like no one can ever overtake them, not even God. Um, certainly no man could. So what they did is they had these walls, <clears throat> and historians said that their outer walls were minimum 35 stories high. That's a big wall. Ain't nobody climbing over that. So they had these big walls that surrounded Babylon, and not only were they 35 stories high, they were 87 feet wide. So even if you came out to chisel on them, you can be chiseling there for years, right? You're not going to get through 87 feet wide, 35 stories high with the technology that they had that time. So um, they felt like out of pride, nothing will ever overtake their kingdom. So what they also did is they, they were near the Euphrates River. So what they did is they ended up diverting some water. And when they di diverted the water, they actually put a moat around the city as well. So the moat served as another uh, way of protection, not only protection, but then they could also then divert it from the moat to have fresh water throughout the city. So from that moat, what they ended up doing is they would create waterways, tunnels, to take that water and bring it into the city so that they didn't have to even leave the city to get water. So they said, we never have to leave the city. We're protected from everything outside of the city. We have fresh water coming into the city. So what else? What could ever destroy us, right? So those who lived in Babylon thought that the city was too strong to fall. But the Bible predicted that it would fall. The Bible told us that Babylon will be destroyed. Jeremiah um, 51 talks about this. Uh, 60 years before Babylon fell, Jeremiah was prophesying this. Or how about in Isaiah 45 through 47? 150 years before it fell, it was prophesied that it would fall and then that Cyrus would be the king to do it. So here's the thing, no matter how wide your walls are, no matter how tall your walls are, no matter how tall your tower is, no matter how much water you have, if God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. Amen? So no matter how much we try to protect ourselves from what God wants, 
He's still in control. So at the end of the day, I say, God, why do I keep on trying to build my walls? Why do I keep on trying to build my tower? Why don't I just trust you? Nevertheless, Cyrus was the one who was going to overtake um, Babylon. So what God ends up doing is Cyrus gets this plan, and Cyrus in, ended up damming the Euphrates River, you know, three to five miles up. So he dammed the river and shut off the water supply to Babylon. So it's said that he um, used then the riverbed to walk on, to send his men, and the tunnels that the water was into the city uh, that was used to transport the uh, aqueducts. He used the aqueducts and he used the riverbed to send his men, and he never had to worry about getting through the walls, right? Because he could just walk right into the city. So they walk right into the city, they overtake the city, and the Bible is real. Amen? So the city was a city of false religion. The city was a city of idolatry. The city of, was a city of pride and arrogance, of independence. And we have to be careful that we don't just point the finger at the world and saying that they are Babylon. We have to make sure that we get every bit of Babylon outside of us. Amen? So please reflect on that this week. God, where is the Babylon within my own heart? Now, um, now that you know a little bit more about Babylon, let's get into chapter 17, which will describe the religious activity of Babylon. Now, what's going to be important is Babylon, she represents a one-world religious system. So here in the book of Revelation, this is a one-world religious system. And there's speculation of how that's coming to pass. And uh, we're going to get into that. So Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me, came to me and said, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters, with her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So the woman here represents a false world religion that rises up on the back of the Antichrist and seduces nations. So she's going to be working with it appears almost leading the Antichrist. She's going to be on the back of the Antichrist, and she's going to be uniting the nations. So she represents a false, yep. With her will come spiritual adultery. It's those who portray that they are outwardly following Jesus, but they are committing spiritual harlotry and abomination. There are people who will be worshiping other gods. We should note that when John mentions her as the one who sits on many waters, the scripture is letting us know that this spirit will oversee many nations. She will have global influence. That's what's going on here. A false religion will be brought about 
and uh, what is it, the UN and um, other worldwide people, leaders. Um, and I think I shared with you guys several weeks ago that um, NASA is helping oversee putting together a religion for the aliens. You guys remember me telling you that? The UN and NASA, they're putting together a religion to uh, make sure that when the aliens come, we can minister to them. And that there's one world religion. Isn't that crazy? Now, for those who are like, I don't believe in aliens, I don't believe in aliens either. But there is a little bit of a mystery of why is there always postulation that there is extraterrestrial life? Now, I would say this, there is extraterrestrial life. Demons, right? There's demons and Nephilim, and they're out of this world. The spiritual realm, like the things that are going on in the spiritual realm, is out of this world. So um, we have this going on, right? So NASA's like, hey, we're going to create this religion because what if everyone's raptured out? What are we going to tell them? So the spirit of the Antichrist has to create some kind of narrative that when people are raptured out, then we are all abducted by aliens, right? That's some postulations. Who knows? Nevertheless, um, she is going to unite all the world leaders. Verse 2. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. This woman will usher in a false religion. False religion is spiritual adultery. Now, there are many theories of what this false religion will be. <clears throat> um, some of it was hard to read because certain commentators want to pick on certain branches of Christianity. You know, maybe the Lutheran church or the uh, Methodist church or the Catholic church. And um, here nor there, um, I don't know what... I don't know what to speculate. The Islamic church, right? So, you know, it's easy to say, well, Islam is going to be the one world religion. Who knows? We really don't know. So many commentators were speculating, but a lot of them seem to uh, point the finger at the Roman Catholic church as um, the unified religion that this woman represents. And here's what I would say. I'm not here to point the finger at the Roman Catholic Church because here's what I recognize. There is false religion in every Bible-believing sect of Christianity. Amen? It's not something we celebrate. But to just say, well, the Roman Catholics do it wrong or the Methodists do it wrong, I'm not here to say that. If we believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven and we understand that he died on the cross and rose from the grave for our sins, and we live a life that is obedient to him, then that's what matters, right? A sin is still a sin, amen? We're not changing those things. So if these other religions or other sects of Christianity are following that, then they go to heaven. But if these other sects of Christianity think that they go to heaven because they're 
because they're uh, earning their way, because they're doing enough good, because they've checked off their religious set list, then they're missing the mark. So every sect of Christianity has false religion within it, and we have to get it out. Nevertheless, um, <clears throat> this system will usher in a one-world government that will have collaboration of 10 leaders. So this uh, Babylon will have, she will usher in, or yeah, she has world leaders at her disposal. These 10 leaders. So verse 3, the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. <clears throat> then I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was, and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This woman sits on the beast. This indicates that there was a close partnership with the beast. And to a certain degree, as I said, she was directing every bit of the beast's moves. The beast has seven heads and ten horns. And this represents countries and leaders, to my understanding. So what it's saying is countries and leaders are going to come together. This is a one world order coming into place. Now, I don't know how much uh, you guys pay attention to all the semantics of our global leaders. <clears throat> but when you listen to much of what several of the past presidents have said, is they brought up the fact of, we want one world government. We want a one world system. Uh, the World Trade, Trade Center, what's it called now? Do you, any of you guys know? the One World Trade Center. So we start to see into the spirit of the Antichrist and how it's working and how they're pushing towards one world. Now, part of what the occult would believe is they believe in this idea of spiritual evolution. I disagree with it, don't believe it's right, but essentially what they think is if you're not smart enough to see what they put right in front of you, then you don't desire to live. So what they do is they put their blasphemies right in front of us because they do believe that their God, lowercase god, their God, Satan, is going to bring them into some sort of paradise one day. It's not as if they believe that I'm just going to be a part of an evil sect of religion that's just going to like destroy people because I hate them. They are deceived, so they think that there's a spiritual evolution, that they're going to put stuff in front of you, and if you're not smart enough to, if you're not smart enough to see it, then you don't get to spiritually evolve into their next section. So when they start throwing one world out there in all of their press conferences, when they put it on their building names, when they throw certain things out there about um, the systems that they're trying to create, we need to use discernment. Amen? It's important for us to use discernment when we see this. And some of you are like, 
you're postulating too much, you're speculating too much. I disagree with you. They're putting it out there, they're making it plain, they're showing their plans. <clears throat> I don't believe in their spiritual evolution, but I do know that they put it out in front of us. Nevertheless, pay attention or you get on YouTube and just type in One World press conferences and you're gonna see all of these past leaders, global leaders, using and talking about One World government. And that's why when we start to see a centralized bank, that's why we become concerned when they use centralized banking. What centralized banking is, one world banking. What centralized banking is, is there's no more freedom. So um, the little bit of cash that I have in my pocket, if I go to certified and I buy a beef jerky and a chocolate milk and I use cash, no one gets to know what I'm doing with that, right? <clears throat> I bought beef jerky and I bought chocolate milk. So I use it, no one knows about it. Now, if I use my credit card, swipe it, guess what? They know I bought the beef jerky, they know I bought the um, chocolate milk. Big brother gets to know. So now when everything is centralized, if you don't follow their one world government ways, guess what happens? All your money's digital, there's no longer cash. Guess what they do? They shut you down, they hit the button. They say, hey, we don't like the way that Macy's spending her money and help, helping the least of these. Macy isn't submitting to, the, to our God. Macy isn't following our rules. Macy isn't worshiping our false idols. So I hit the red button. One world. One world. So what we see happening now is we're seeing a one world system, a one world infrastructure coming together. And you say, Joey, can you please preach something encouraging? <clears throat> Here's the most encouraging thing that I can present is revelation is proving to us that God is real. Like God is real. So if God is real, then we can have peace for our future. That's exciting. That the present sufferings of this world pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. That to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He's real. And what I, what I need to, you guys to understand clearly is God does not send his wrath against his people. The wrath that we may face is from people or from the enemy. So the book of Revelation is not God's wrath against the church. Any persecution that we face comes from the devil. Nevertheless, we see this system coming together and we, we have to pay attention to it. We have to see these things taking place. We have to be in prayer. So this one world system is coming into place. And from a worldly standpoint, what keeps one world order from happening is how America is still generally independent. But the moment America loses its independence, its sovereignty, one world order will happen. All other nations are operating out of that right now. 
And you say, well, what about Russia and Ukraine and their fighting? And what about America being against Russia and supporting Ukraine? What about all these alliances? I think they're fake, if I'm honest. I think they're fake. I think we should quit buying into it. I think most war, if not all war today, is used as a pawn for control. It's used as a pawn for, um, yeah, creating control and power and problems by which we can do what we want. So it's actually, even for America, when you think about all the money we've sent, it's gonna be generations, right, before the dollar gets right. So with all the money that we've sent, then you say, um, <clears throat> how, do we ever, how are we ever gonna get it back? Well, it's just part of the spirit of the one world government wanting to make us lose all of our money and be in poverty so that they can have centralized banking. But maybe I'm postulating too much for you guys, theorizing, who knows. Either way, back to the notes. So the one thing that's keeping from a worldly standpoint is America. But as the younger generation would say, this woman has a vibe. How many of you guys ever use the word vibe? The older generation, how many of you guys don't know what vibe it means? Vibe is this idea of um, modern terms, just you got some charisma, you got this look. Um, when you walk into the room, you're carrying something, a presence. So this woman has a vibe for the younger generation. She's dressed in purple and she has scarlet. She has glittering gold with precious stone and pearls. She has a golden cup filled with abominable things in the filth of her adulteries. There is speculation about what this means. Some of the speculation is that purple means royalty. So what it's saying is she's going to be in a high place. She's going to carry authority in high places. Glittering gold, precious stones and pearls, means uh, she's going to have resources and there's vanity within her life. Scarlet. Um, some say it could represent government. Others say it represents bloodshed. Yet, it's pretty plain what she drinks. Right? So she's drinking the filth of abominable things and adulteries. Now, within the context of the book of Revelation, this um, this isn't going to be clear to the world who she is, what she represents. Remember, many are going to be deceived. Therefore, people who think that she is following, people are going to think that she's following God rightly. That's going to happen. So when she comes, people are going to think that she's leading the world down the right path. It's not going to be evidently clear to everyone People are going to put faith in her. People are going to want to follow her. Yet, despite what the world wants and desires, she's identified by God. And even though the world thought that she was great, she was labeled. And she was labeled just like prostitutes used to be labeled. She's identified. Verse 5. The name written on her forehead 
was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. So she had a label. She's nothing but a fake, false, impure woman that is deceiving those who sleep with her. Now, this isn't physically sleeping with her. This is all analogies, right? One author says this. She is the embodiment of Satan's own um, movement. The religion of the world system. So she's the embodiment of Satan's own movement. The religion of the world system. So our world, strong with a philosophy that um, that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Believe, if you want to believe this, you can believe it, is prepared by this woman. She's going to create this system that whatever you believe, you can believe it. She's going to seduce you into that. And we will see the casual disregard for the truth crippling the church. And we see that crippling our church today. We see that we just a la carte Christianity. How much a la carte Christianity have you welcomed into your life? Haven't we all done that? And I'm not here to like point the finger and be like, you guys, you guys are horrible people today. That is not the heart of the message. I want to go home today and I want to ask myself, God, where am I adding to? Where am I a la carte? Where am I an a la carte Christian? Where am I adding and then writing off certain things in my life that I don't want to give up to you? So she will unite and have all the world leaders at her disposal. She will also be blood hungry. Verse 6. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. What we see here again is that the enemy has been out to kill God's people since the beginning. Um, they are drunk. The enemy is drunk over hurting God's people. God's not hungry. God is patient. But the enemy is drunk over it, loves to do it. And we see some of God's people who have um, been killed. John the Baptist, Stephen, Antipas, James, Jesus himself. The enemy sought to kill God's people. John was astonished at this because she was killing Christians and not pagans. Why would you kill the people who are serving God? Why are you killing people who believe in Jesus? Why are you killing people who are trying to be decent? Well, she was killing people and she will kill people because it's false religion. They're serving a false God. And this false religion and this false God was out to murder and destroy anything that was true. And what was true here was Jesus. And what is true today is Jesus. This murdering will be done in their church's name. 
their crusade will be in the church's name. We're doing this because Christians are horrible people. Now, there's this idea, there was this, um, there was this, um, I guess, science, um, why could I not think of the term, science um, test experiment, experiment done several years ago. And what they did is they took five monkeys and they put them in a room. And they took these five monkeys and when they put them in the room, they ended up putting a banana you know, five feet up in the air. So when they saw the bananas, they would go grab these bananas. And when they would grab these bananas, they would get doused with cold water and ice. So they would throw the banana down. And then the next day, put bananas up and they go grab the banana and then they do the same thing. So then the monkeys learn pretty quickly, if we grab the bananas, we're gonna get drilled with cold water and ice thrown on us. So third, fourth, fifth day, whatever, they saw the bananas and they left them alone. So then what they did is they took one of the monkeys out and they brought in a new banana or a new monkey. So the first guy, they brought in a new banana. They brought in the, the new monkey. When the new monkey came in, guess what that monkey did? They brought the banana. So that monkey started to go towards the banana. The four other monkeys grabbed it and beat it up. Because they said, if you touch that banana we are going to um, get thrown with water. So then what they did is they took um, another one out. You know, so some of the original ones, they started to take them out. So they ended up doing this experiment to where all the original, all the original monkeys were out. So then any time, so essentially I'm just going to restart, right? This is important. So the, after the first monkey that they just, they put the first one out, they brought a new one in. That new one went for it. The monkeys beat it up. But the water never came. The ice never came. So then they took out one of the original ones, and then they took out a third original one, and the same thing, and a fourth original one. So now all these monkeys have never seen water or ice, Right? So then they tried to bring in another monkey, and when that monkey who's never, the five that are in the room have never seen water or ice. So what ended up happening is then they brought in the banana, a new monkey. That monkey went to go grab the banana, and it got beat up again. And the five monkeys or four monkeys that were in the room had no clue why they were beating up, why they were beating up that new monkey that came in. Because those four monkeys that were in the room never experienced the ice or the water. Does that make sense? So there was a brainwashing that was taking place of they didn't even know why they were doing what they were doing. Well, there's coming a time, and we are in that time, where Hitler used many methods of propaganda out against the Jews. So then what appeared to be, what appeared to be um, wrong to those who were not brainwashed was right to those who were brainwashed. But Hitler could not have said in day one, hey, the Jews are evil, let's go kill them. No one would have done it, right? 
were humane. So what Hitler had to do, like this experiment with the monkeys, is to convince people to do something, not even knowing the original reason why. And here's what I would say to the church today, and here's what I would say to the world today. There is antichrist propaganda that the world and that the church is believing, and they don't even know it. And there are people who hate the church, who hate Christians, and they have no clue why. Because there's been slow propaganda against us. So far-right Christians or um, gay-hating Christians, homophobic Christians, far-right Christians, terrorist Christians, and they start lumping believers in Christ and they start Jesus follower, whatever, whatever, right? And they're taking slowly, slowly putting us in that so that one day when the spirit of the Antichrist is here, it makes sense to kill Christians. And those who are killing Christians don't even know why. So I ask you, how many things have you have been propagated against you that you're not even aware of? Now, if you knew that you were aware of them, then you would change it. But that's where we have to ask ourselves, what are some things that we're believing that we don't even know why we're doing it? Why are there certain things that we're doing that we don't even know why we're doing them? I would dare to say that the spirit of the Antichrist has been manipulating the world for some time. Nevertheless, this woman, she's going to create this world system that comes against the church, and she's going to kill the church. She's going to kill believers. She's going to create this philosophy and this ideology that her followers completely believe in, and that's going to be to kill you and I. She will be blood hungry. Um, so John was astonished that she was killing Christians and not pagans. This church is a false church. They will be murdering in the church's name. And here's what I want to say is this. If some of the most horrific killings of God's people has been done in the name of religion. I would say most of it has been done in the name of religion. Now, uh, many of you guys may know this, some of you may not, but the Roman Catholic Queen Mary ruled England. Um, I forgot the date, but um, what ended up happening is 288 Christians during this time were burnt under her commissioning. Christians, people who believed in Jesus, were burnt, burnt at the stake to her. This is where we get the term Bloody Mary. So those who like Bloody Marys, we pray for you anyways already. But now the idea of drinking a Bloody Mary, understanding where the name come from, that there was Queen Mary who burnt Christians at the stake, Hitler killing Jews. What was that done under? Religion. At the end of time, 
killings out of the vein of religion and doing good will only increase because the beast is blood hungry. Now, this beast will have stages, and there's four stages that the scriptures tell us about. So the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go into its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. But it, um, but it once was, now is not, and yet will come. So it takes a little bit of understanding of the Old Testament, but it was, the beast was. So um, his original political appearance of the beast and the rise of the beast was in Daniel 9. You can see that in 26 and 27. Is not, so he's no longer here, his death by a fatal wound, right? So Zechariah 11 and then Revelation 13. Yet will come his miraculous recovery, right? Revelation 13. And then um, to his destruction, his destruction at the hands of Christ at the second coming. So Daniel 7, 11, and then Revelation 19. So he was, is not, yet will come to its destruction. There's four stages. Verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other one has not yet come. But, will, uh, but when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. So, yeah, this is unique. So what is, he, what is John articulating here? One author, the seven heads and ten horns, both of these refer, refer to sets of rulers. But they are different sets of rulers. The ten rulers are future rulers. These will rise to prominence at the end of time and will only rule for a short time. And this author thinks one hour referring to the tribulation period. They will rule under the authority of the Antichrist and give all of their authority to him. Either of the world or a specific religion of the world will be united under these ten religions, which will allow the Antichrist to rule them much easier than it would if he had to rule 250 countries. The seven kings belong to a different set. They are represented by the seven mountains, which shows how powerful they are. They are not just normal rulers, but the highest of rulers, unlike the ten kings who are all future to, uh, are all future to the time of John. Only one of these seven was future to John. Five of them have come and gone by the time John received this vision. 
One of them was likely currently ruling when John received his vision. The other was yet to come and will be the Antichrist. <clears throat> so there is much debate about what this passage represents among the Christians. There are many theories about who these seven rulers are. So here are a couple common theories. The seven rule, uh, yeah, the seven refers to seven kingdoms who are ruled by Israel, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greek, and Rome. Um, and then the new Roman Empire will be ruled. So that's the seven that it might be referring to. The seven refers to the seven kingdoms who are ruled by, who are ruled over, is who rule over Israel, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greek, Rome, Ottoman, and then the Turk Islamic Caliphate. Or the seven refers to the Roman emperors. So there are several sets that have been proposed, including um, Tiberius, Claudius, Nero, Titus, the list goes on. So what are the seven kingdoms being referenced here? I don't know. Sorry. Wish I could give you that exact answer. The author continues, the seven refers to the seven kings who reigned over Jerusalem and Babylon from the four empires mentioned in Daniel. The first kingdom from a dynasty empire is added to the list. And there are seven. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander the Great, um, Antichus, Solidius, and the future Antichrist. While the exact names and people are hard to identify, the main idea, I think, is clear. God is sovereign. He is on his throne. He's bringing history into a conclusion. And that's what's happening here. Many of the rulers are going to be connected into this evil system which is set up against God and his people. And all will finally face judgment. That's what I believe we're to take from this mystery of these kingdoms. God is pointing everything to the end. We're almost finished. One world order. Exclamation mark. Verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who, are not yet who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beasts. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph, will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Despite the world's partnership, Jesus wins. Our role is simple. Remain faithful to him and let him win the battle. Amen? Despite their partnership, here's where we see the spirit of Babylon at work within them. Just like Babylon thought that if their walls were thick enough, that if their walls were tall enough, that they would be safe. Just as they thought if they build a tower, built a tower tall enough, 
that if a flood came, they would be safe. Just as they thought that they could do enough to protect themselves against God, that spirit, in the end, the spirit of the Antichrist thinks that he can resource enough to defeat God. Babylon couldn't resource enough. The spirit of the Antichrist can't resource enough. You cannot resource enough to protect yourself against what God has planned for you. Amen? And then finally, the beast uses people. Anyone who partners with the beast, they're deceived. He's just using them as a pawn. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So this person that God was using who thought that they were being used in a good way, that they were partners, the beast now destroys. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So the enemy's even going to turn on his own people, and God is directing that. One author concludes this section. Satan is in the uh, business of using people. If given the chance, he will squeeze everything out of you and then discard you to rubbish. He will use the leaders of the one world religion for his own purpose. When he's done, they will be killed. It's very similar to the classic bad guy movie. In these movies, viewers watch uh, people as they make shady deals with bad guys, and at the end of the story, they are always betrayed. Satan is a terrible master and partner. He does not uh, keep his word, and his goal is to ultimately lead you to destruction. Let's not partner with the enemy at all. Let's get rid of every bit of Babylon and self-independence that we have. Amen? Because the lie that we're believing is only going to be shoved back in our face one day. So what do we learn today? The beast will unite the world leaders together. And the beast is already deceiving many and much of the world to not even know why they're doing what they're doing. There are many who speculate what this religion will be. But that's not our job to figure that out. What's most important for us to do today is to faithfully trust and serve Jesus with everything that we have and understand that in the end, he wins. Amen? Jesus wins. Father, I pray that as we walk out of here today, we wouldn't be fearful of the future. We wouldn't be afraid of it. But we would rejoice that your words are true, that we see these things taking place around the world. I pray that as your word says, Father, to think about heavenly things, to think about true things. So may we not think about how the world may be headed to hell right now, but may we think about your promises that we get to inherit heaven, that there's peace that comes our way 
that nothing can separate us from your love, that your son died on the cross for us. May we think about these heavenly things today. In Jesus' name, amen.